Hey y'all, this podcast contains potentially disturbing content. Our show includes graphic references to topics such as sexual abuse, self-harm, violence, eating disorders, explicit language, and sexual acts. Listener discretion is advised. This show is for mature audiences only. Good morning and slay. Slay, bitch. Slay all day. Because you're listening to the Queer LBC Podcast. I'm Nino, local construction daddy and podcast fatty. My pronouns are he, him. Thank you for asking. I have with me here my fabulous cohorts. Yo, what's up? This is Christoph here, your city top liaison. My pronouns are he, him, and that motherfucker. Dr. Mikey here, your professional cheese muscle. Tell me all your secrets. My pronouns are he, she, all of them. So, what do you got for us today, girl? Oh, you know, just some quick tea and queer events, 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 quick, quick, queer. Take a sip. Take a sip, you big stupid bitch. All right. So, this is the quick tea and the queer events. This is where we get into the L, G, B, and the T of it all. Sometimes we get a little Q, U, too. You know what I mean? I know what you mean, girl. So what did the queens talk about today this week? Today this week. Today in gay. Club Q shooter who killed five charged with federal hate crimes. Today in trans. Gender affirming care improves transgender lives according to largest survey of trans people. Also in trans. Transgender activists stage die-in at Florida driver's license offices across the state. Today in homophobia. Video shows St. Louis police handcuffing gay bar owner. Also in homophobia, Glendale, city's queer Armenian community targeted by extremists. Police, fire, and the liquor board raided two Seattle gay bars. Not again. Today in transphobia, trans people in Florida blocked from changing gender on driver's licenses. Also in transphobia, a new Georgia Women's Bill of Rights guts protections for trans women and eliminates gender identity. And last but not least, Beyonce. Discuss. Do any of you queens know by any of these things? 16 carriages. (laughs) (laughs) I thought the two Beyonce songs were good. I was just complaining to my friend how much I hate country music and then ah shit gotcha. i turned into that meme you're like oh now I'm right all about country now you get a cowboy hat now that picture that she has with her little short bob and the cowboy hat is cute mm-hmm. i'm like i want to be you bitch <laughs> <laughs> well she was hinting at it. did you see her at the grammys oh yeah when she hit but that outfit was suspect like was it, not- <laughs> she didn't look good it, like it wasn't uh, it, was it wasn't for her mm. the white I think it was probably Sanders. a last minute outfit these people did a die-in. That was fun. These transgender activists. Yeah, so... Oops. Oh, you want to read the article? You can if you want. Okay. You can pull it up. Sorry. Not prepared. Yeah, so uh, in Florida, trans activists uh, did a die-in. So all the um, offices or some offices in Florida where you go and get your driver's license, trans activists went, wrapped themselves in trans flags or emergency like safety vests and they went and they just did this like diet people just laid on the floor and they're protesting the new band or the new law in florida that criminalizes uh changing your gender under driver's license whack ass bitches but yeah that's cool i was 
I was excited to see that these people were yeah. doing like some real, what do you call that? Disruption. There you go. Because I think that's like, obviously us going and trying to advocate for ourselves in the laws or what our representatives are not working. Mm-hmm. So I, I think protests really need to start disrupting in order to get people's attention. Yeah. Right. I like that. Because I always hear like, whenever you see like, people protesting and like cl- like shutting down the freeways like i don't know why but all my coworkers always get really angry at that and i'm like you're so stupid yeah. <laughs> like we're fucking doing something exactly right. <laughs> i saw that when the protests shut down the freeways uh, for palestine mm-hmm. and like people were commenting and they're being like this is a great way to not get people on your side and i'm just like y'all don't understand the point of this like, right because if you ain't gonna cause no shit then what's going to make you come out and, and support them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. not talking about it now. Because mm-hmm. if you was talking about it, then we wouldn't be here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're not going to get you on your your side by being nice to you, bitch. Right. Like, what, the, <laughs> what has that worked ever? The fuck? Yeah, but I think it's great they did this. And I think people should definitely plan more, like, protests this this style. Yeah, these, like, out loud kind of, like meaningful things mm-hmm. like a die-in that's cool yeah because and the the reality is is like if you're not going to allow trans people to change the gender on their licenses then you put them in danger because there's right. going to be like people who get gender affirming care you know when they transition you know their their appearance their expression is not going to match the the gender on their id and that's dangerous and you putting them at risk yeah right. exactly so it was a it's a great way to send a message See, so yeah, because that's why they did that, Diane, be, Diane, because Florida Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles announced a change in a memo late last week sent to county tax collectors where state residents can get licenses, permitting an individual to alter his or her license to reflect an eternal sense of gender role or identity, which is neither immutable nor objectively verifiable undermines the purpose of an identification record and can frustrate the state's ability to enforce its laws. That's what Robert Kinoch stated, the department's deputy executive director in the memo. The memo further says that someone misrepresenting their gender, meaning not using their sex assigned at birth, constitutes criminal and civil fraud. Sir, if you don't shut the fuck about how, how? Criminal. How? Oh my god. Talking about new bathroom law that you're gonna go to jail. Right. Oh yeah. And that and, and that's basically why they're doing that because now that they're saying that like basically we won't be able mm-hmm. now this will allow them to force enforce, enforce yeah. those laws into effect and have police officers and people who are going to, I guess, manage these ridiculous They said fucking something, go fucking pee on the corner or some shit. I, I said, if you're, they say, it said, who the fuck said that? I just read it. They were saying that if you're confused about which bathroom to go into, you can go pee on the street corner. And, and then so you can arrest us for a lewd. Right, exactly. And, damn. Come on now. Like, that's fucking stupid, yo. Mm-hmm. So expanded the department's authority to issue replacement licenses depending on one's eternal sense of gender or sex identification is violated of the law and does not serve to enhance the security and rehabilitation of Florida issued licenses and identification cards. I was like, but y'all got so much else shit to worry about in Florida. Then mm-hmm. 
this like right yeah why don't you worry about your fucking flooding ass fucking streets, <laughs> swamp idiots. lands damn but like the the florida highway safety and motor vehicles deputy executive director he said this he said the term gender does not refer to a person's internal sense of his or her gender role or identification but has historically and commonly be understood as a synonym for sex which is determined by innate and immutable biological and genetic characteristics girl bye so they're like they're he gets to define gender like right. girl so, like, what? what are you talking about yeah mm-hmm. if you want to take it all the way back to when god made adam and eve do you think sex was on their mind when they were given their Rips body part their <laughs> rib, right? you know like that's not that that's dude like yeah. they don't even make no sense yeah but even even what they're saying too they're trying to like People always use this, oh, sex. Mm-hmm. And, and they relate it to your your chromosomes. Your but, genitals. like, what they don't, people don't understand is, like, okay, XX, XY. But, like, even that is on a spectrum. There are people who aren't XX or XY. They're XXY or, you know, different variations. So, like, even your understanding of that is false. Yeah, because then it's kind of like, well, then what... If gender doesn't mean gender anymore, it's like, well, what is the thing that gender used to mean? What is what is that should be called? Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's, it's I, yeah. still a thing, even if it's not gender, right? Like, I still have a gender, mm-hmm. regardless of if it's meaning my sex or my g- gender. <laughs> See, this doesn't even make sense. Like, yeah. fucking words. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> right. Exactly. Because even if he's saying, like, gender only means sex only refers to your chromosomes it's like well i still have the thing that's like i'm still acting femme over here so what does that Mm -hmm. mean like Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that means i inalienably by god's law i'm I'm still acting mask right now even though i'm femme by his rules because gender can't be swapped (laughs) i guess yeah so no matter how gay i act i'm still masculine (laughs) and manly yeah, I mean that's true regardless. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Maybe right. he's being progressive. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, but I, I think yeah, I don't know. Like I just don't understand how this person gets to make that call. And like it's also based on not science. Like you're not acknowledging intersex people. Thank you. Also true. I think it's a kind of like we should always <laughs> kind of fucking remind them that intersex people exist because mm-hmm. it's like they don't know they don't think they exist and mm-hmm. i tell my fucking co-workers this all the time i'm like whenever we talk talk about the trans argument i'm mm-hmm. like i always just bring up intersex people i'm like you know intersex people exist right yeah and so what is their gender yeah i was like so what do they have to pick if they have both you're gonna tell me i'm like that's what the doctor does i guess is oh, tell right. you which one you have to pick the fuck people are i uh... people are out there don't have minds is what it is. That's also true. But do y'all remember back in what was that we was talking about when that police car in St. Louis? Yes. Oh, when yes. they ran into the bar and then the owners was upstairs, came out and they end up arresting the owners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now recently, a video has surfaced that not only shows the moments after the St. Louis police officer crashes his SUV into a gay bar, but also appears to contradict the officers who handcuffed one of the bar co-owners because he was causing a disturbance. <laughs> so the new footage taken by a bystander shows the events leading up to the co-owners 
James Pence and see that last name being handcuffed by Officer Ramel Wallace, who responded to the scene. Chad Morris, the other bar car co-owner and Pence's husband, was arrested later by Wallace, who also was accused of beating Morris while he was in custody. So a dash camera was not installed in the vehicle that crashed and it's unclear how many, if any, of the officers on scene had working body cameras recording the incident, said the attorney. But in the two minute, so they, they basically show it and whatnot. But after you, they basically states this, that like, remember when it first came out, they was like, oh, like they was causing the scene, this, that, mm-hmm. and the other. So this video actually breaks down what contradicts the police officer's comments and police report, mm-hmm. official police report. So the St. Louis police changed the story three times about why the officers crashed his SUV into the building. The officers claimed that they swerved to avoid a dog, mm-hmm. right? I remember that. Oh and then, but later said that they avoided hitting a parked car. The department said the driving officer was adjusting the radio in the vehicle. So those was already three lies or three statements that wasn't. They, like, that you're was the fucking cops. You already know how to not lie. And right. you're fucking so stupid. But huh? however, the video shows that the car not only ran a red light, but also traveled at a high rate of speed before swerving and crashing into the building. Hmm. So you, there ain't no fucking dog, for one. Ain't no part of car that you was trying to avoid. You ran a red light and you was going fucking at a high rate of speed. So Wallace, the responding officer, did not ask the officer who crashed the police vehicle to take a breathalyzer test. Said enough probability calls existed to warrant that. So when the police officers showed up on scene, he immediately just, you know, mm-hmm. you know, the the code of brother's law and police work, I'm assuming, go in, talk to them, handle, go get them. But uh, Morris, who was inside the bar at the time of the crash, also was asked by Wallace to show his ID. That felony count. So wait, a short time later, Morris was arrested and charged with felony assault on Wallace and misdemeanor resist, resisting arrest. That felony count was reduced to a misdemeanor. Morris had a black eye and bruises when he was released from jail. He accused Wallace of beating him while in custody. Wallace has been accused of assaulting and injuring another citizen in 2019 incident. So these actions have compounded an already strained relationship between the St. Louis Police Department and the LGBTQ community. So that alone should, if if I was those bar owners, I would sue the shit out of that police department. Mm -hmm. And then also be like, Y'all didn't breathalyze that dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, what what makes you think if, if he I'm quite sure he wasn't on the chase, because if he was on the chase, it would have been more cars on the chase. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? When this fucking story first dropped, I immediately knew it was bullshit. And then <laughs> I fuck it. I'll be a conspiracy theorist. This is fucking related <laughs> to all the other fucking bar raids. Hello, like this happened. But he not only raided that motherfucker, he ran into it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it makes me think that the fucking, there's something going on that the fucking cops are all like, we need to fucking get into these gay bars for fucking some fucking reason. Leave us alone. We're just having fun drinking. But does that not seem connected to you? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. All of it is freaking connected. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Ex- okay, doctor, go into your raid story. Oh, yes. So we have uh, friends who live in Denver and they're DJs the gay bars and around the same time the raids happened in seattle or actually maybe a few days before the seattle ones broke they posted on facebook and instagram that the bar they were djing at 
got raided by the police and the police were focusing on like lewd conduct conduct because apparently it's like against the law to like serve alcohol shirtless or and have people shirtless what something like that huh yeah maybe in denver i guess yeah so that was the the reason why they decided to like raid it because it was like an underwear night or something just looking to bust gays yeah like sounds like old times (laughs) so was that the same reason that happened in seattle well, let's, oh, let's find out because so, I don't know. Tune in. <laughs> Live breaking. But, but okay, this, well, while you do that, like, come on, like, ACAB, like, you are giving so much power to police and this is what they're doing with it. And even if these, this, these bar owners decide to sue the police, that money they get is not coming out of the police funding. It's coming right. out of funding for the city. Exactly. That discretionary fund. So you, they're not learning anything. Yeah, they're not losing. Yeah. Ah, This is article from thestranger.com from Vivian McCall. Police, fire, and the liquor board raided two Seattle gay bars. The joint enforcement team, which is a coalition of Seattle police, fire, uh, the state liquor and cannabis board, and others entered the cuff complex and started looking around. LCB officials entered the Seattle Eagle and did the same thing. And what did they find? A bartender's exposed nipple and a few people wearing mm, jock straps. Scund. Offenses that law enforcement can cite you for in Washington if you're also selling alcohol. At see, 12. oh, see, same reason. So fucking stupid. Like, bitch, we've been in here naked. <laughs> right. Yeah. But we're not even naked. See but, that's, that, see, but here's the problem that I have with that, because there's a lot of laws and things that you can be going to enforce. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like, why choose this? Why mm-hmm. is this on the forefront? Yeah. Why are you? Why are you wasting your time? Right. Yeah. Why are you wasting this money? Like he's shirtless. Ike. And that's <laughs> you're going to like guys can walk out in public with their shirts off. Mm-hmm. Like. But now that you're in a, I mean, I shut the fuck up. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but I think, I think, like even how this article started, like police have never been friends of to the queer community or to any community, any to be community. honest, because they're just upholding the system Except and theirs. the structure. Like this is very pre Stonewall. Like I don't know, where's the mafia to protect us this time? <laughs> but like this is i don't know i don't like this this is kind of scary to like if this keeps happening like yeah. the three different bars like what the fuck that says so uh 10 30 on saturday morning 10 30 at night basically mm-hmm. 10 member g j e t crew filled into cuff according to the owner joey burgess they came in with flashlights scaring some patrons some patrons who left in a hurry inside they saw the offending nipple a violation <laughs> of state law the JET may penalize in some way. Saturday night, two LCB officials entered the Eagle at 11.30 p.m. and inspected the premises. Owner Keith Christensen said he's waiting on a call from them about the jockstraps and, the, and a potential <laughs> citation, according to a JET agenda. 
Officials hit neighbors on Friday and observed a lewd conduct violation. They hit the lumberyard on Saturday and registered no violations. Of the 15 places enforcement inspected over the weekend, four were gay clubs, two were hookah lounges, and one was a college bar. One was a hot dog stand, one was a music venue, and one was a dive bar. Another was a bowling alley, another was a bar and grill, one was a roller rink, another was some weird lounge that has no internet presence. What the fuck? What and the- they st- What is this article? So Washington was just on their bullshit. So they're hitting all these different bars. I guess so. Oh. Let's see. The... I don't know. That's still sus. It's suspect as fuck. I don't the like it. The city created a JET to address nuance businesses and criminal activity in Seattle, but neither Ooh. Cuff nor the Eagle had ever been cited for alcohol or violence-related offenses. In this case, clothing was the sole issue. An open letter, both owners signed for call, signed calls for a thorough investigation into why the jet ex- inspected two gay bars in as many nights. Both bars have been cited for similar reasons before. Christensen said that LBC chased out 70% of his business over citations in February tw- 2008. Burgess has dealt with this problem since Pride of 2022 when the LBC, when the CLB, is it? The CLB cited Cuff for a customer wearing a jock strap. How do you cite the bar for what the customer is wearing? wearing? Right. Mm-hmm. Because they have the right to refuse anybody. And if I ain't going to refuse them, then I ain't going to fucking refuse them. Yeah. The fuck? Mm. That don't make no sense. Since then, Cuff stayed, staff have hall monitored fashion choices, banning jock straps, and asking patrons to pull up their pants to hide exposed cracks. <laughs> Dang. He said he's seen a decline in business because people assume Cuff wants to regulate their bodies despite signage he's put up explaining the pressure they're facing from the state. It's a difficult conversation to have in light in the night at night. It's a difficult conversation to have late night at a bar, crowded bar. Let's see. On Tuesday, a spokesperson released a statement saying the agency wanted to acknowledge the alarm and concern its enforcement actions caused, but also to assure the LGBT community that it does not target their spaces. The sp- okay. The spokesperson added that the agency contacted letter signatories to clarify its actions and intent. There is no emphasis on patrolling activity at LGBTQ plus establishments or any crackdown on lewd conduct violations. Okay blatant lie read the statement (laughs) the actions of the weekend were a result of routine work by lcb and other agencies it's not routine if it's not routine bitch (laughs) i don't know what to tell you at a tuesday caucus lcb board chair post david postman disagreed with the use of the term raid but he could understand how jet's entrance to cuff looked considering the history of law enforcement busts on queer bars and the lcb doling out citations at the eagle years before he called the photographs taken as evidence as unfortunate of course it's unfortunate for you you dumb bitch (laughs) unfortunate that you look like a dumb jackass (laughs) the seattle police department said someone filed a complaint about the station the situation with the office of police accountability so they can't comment while it's under under investigation So somebody called on every single gay bar. I was like, anyways. Yeah. I don't know. But I was like, I'm quite sure they should be focusing on a whole lot of other shit. Mm-hmm. With, I'm quite sure they probably mm-hmm. a lot of underage drinking and selling of liquor to minors in Seattle. Right. 
Deal with your fucking heroin situation. <laughs> God damn. Anyways. Sorry, gays. We're under attack. Always will be, unfortunately. I mean, I guess as long as you don't have your your titties out, you should be fine. Yeah. So keep just your butts in. Keep your butts in. And, and titties. your titties in. <laughs> but I mean, that's the whole thing is like, I know, like, as customers of gay bars, the only people that I, I ever see naked are the entertainment folks mm-hmm. that have been like yeah so it's like what the fuck yeah i mean that's true i mean i've I've been to bars like if somebody is naked like most management and stuff is like ah you look because you can they could fuck up your liquor license mm-hmm. exactly i've been kicked out of a club for sucking someone's dick <laughs> 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 so it's like, they take care of it like what the fuck yeah yeah but i think it's just interesting that this is a law at all right and it, it obviously it's connected to kind of stonewall days so pre-stonewall they would get you for same sex like there was a law against like being with other men right you know so once they couldn't do that anymore how are they controlling the gay community this way and they know it's part of the, the culture so they're going right. to still find a way to try to regulate us and then it's kind of like like the one guy said that his business had gone down it's like well that's another tactic you yeah just, like you're just putting us out of business exactly right. because motherfuckers like i don't yeah. feel safe like why don't i go there if i can get arrested or raided exactly these are safe places right so we got the straights in the abbey taking over and they then, can have it and take right? abbey i'm good and then we got these other fucking <laughs> bars getting raided right this straights are just getting out of pocket getting out of hand mm-hmm did y'all hear about the club Q, uh, Q shooter? Yeah. He got charged with five federal hate crimes. Stupid bitch. So I think they're, they want to give them, well, them, because they're, they're non-binary. But there's concern around that because people are saying that they didn't identify as non-binary before the shooting, but now they are after the shooting. Hmm. So I don't know. But their pronouns are they, them. And they're going to give them, like, multiple life sentences. Let's see. So he got, he pled guilty to 50 hate crime counts and 24 firearm violations. He would get multiple life sentences in addition to a 190-year sentence under the proposed agreement. I'm like, that's not fair. <laughs> what? Him getting to live. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, a murder suicide wouldn't have suited it either, right? Hmm. Unfortunately, yeah. So that happened too. Aldrich was sentenced to life in prison in June after pleading guilty to state counts of murder and forty-six counts of attempted murder, one for each person at Club Q during the attack on November nineteenth, twenty twenty-two. The victims killed in the Club Q attack were Raymond Green Vance, 22, Daniel Aston, 28, Ashley Haig, 35, Derek Rump, 38, and Kelly Loving, 40. Aldrich was moved to the Wyoming State Penitentiary last year due to concerns about their safety in Colorado's prison system. Who's concerned? Who is so concerned with your safety? They, they are. I probably requested a change. Aldridge identifies as non-binary, but prosecutors have expressed skepticism about that. 
El Paso County District Attorney Michael Allen District Attorney said he believed Aldridge claimed the identity to avoid being charged with hate crimes under the Colorado law. Aldrich didn't identify as non-binary before the club shooting, Alan said. Well, I mean, mm. you're still not gay, and you killed a bunch of gay people. <laughs> Doesn't mean you're not a homophobe. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I think <laughs> even if you identify in the community, that's just still a hate crime. Right? Like, I think it's what your intent under it, and, he, and they were probably fueled by all the transphobia and homophobia out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, fucking Caitlyn Jenner still transphobic as fuck. We right? can all agree on that, right? Yeah, yes. Also true. So I'm sure we could charge Caitlyn Jenner with hate crime. <laughs> uh, uh, you can still do hate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sai. Sai and gay. <laughs> um, oh, did you all see the latest survey that says gender-affirming care improves sh- transgender lives? I didn't, but I believe it. Right. Right. It only makes sense. So this the survey let's see where was it? So ninety-two thousand three hundred and twenty-nine individuals were surveyed. It's like the biggest sample. Yeah, it sounded like a huge number. Mm-hmm. It's a huge sample of, of trans people, the largest one they've gotten. So it's like probably the most accurate. So ninety-four percent of the respondents who lived Sorry, 94 respondents who lived at least some of the time in a gender other than the one they were assigned at birth reported that they were either a lot more satisfied at 79% or a little more satisfied, 15%, and with their life than before their transition. Nearly all of those were under, uh, nearly all of those who were undergoing hormone treatment or had received at least one gender affirming surgery said this health care had improved their lives. Mm-hmm. I believe it. Mm-hmm. I'm just like tripping out right now on the words gender assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. We assign you. This is your mission. Whether you want to or not, mm-hmm. you are man. You are woman. Then I see the intersex lips and balls at the same time. Yeah. And I say... That's where the word assign really comes in, where it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. now I'm assigning you this gender. Yeah. I have decided. Right. Mm-hmm. Not me, not my body. So yeah. it's, so know, it's like, like, if you are intersex, and it's saying that your sex defined at birth, your gender is defined by your sex at birth, if you are intersex, then what does that mean for your gender? Then there has to be a third gender. Well, now there is, but back in the day, no. Like, it was common practice for doctors to just do a surgery mm-hmm. and then, like, basically pick a sign. Yeah. That's so creepy. That's mm-hmm. so, like, yeah. I don't know what. So, yeah, so there's a lot of stories of, like, intersex people who that happened to and then they, they it didn't, like, resonate with them. That wasn't how they identified. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That fucking sucks. Yeah. But I think, like, Republicans need to listen to this report because, like, you're essentially like harming your constituents. You're killing your, your constituents, and you're just blocking them from enjoying life. Yeah, stupid poor bitch, morally bankrupt bastards. But did y'all hear about Glendale? Glendale has a great queer Armenian community, but they are afraid for you know 
their lives because I know last year they had a lot of extremists come after them. Mm-hmm. But uh, it says that their friends are bracing Glendale, the queer Armenian community in Glendale and their friends are bracing for another onslaught of anti-LGBTQ plus smear tactics and misinformation campaigns ahead of the Glendale school board election and the March 5, the March 5th primary. Glendale community members, including teachers, students, parents, and elected officials held a rally on the steps of Glendale City Hall Thursday to confront the rise in extremists and hate groups in the city. I didn't re- well, I guess Glendale is kind of conservative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also kind of like if, yeah. What? I, I, I don't want to say like Sorry. almost like it can give a vibe of like in certain areas like redneckish vibes in glendale mm-hmm. yeah oh in certain areas in certain pockets mm. yeah and there's been enough time in glendale but the, so violence erupted in june outside last year of the school board oh i remember that yeah so yeah. many agitators wore matching sh- white t-shirts with the slogan leave our kids alone and trucks with giant leave our kid alone banners circled the neighborhood a few days before talking to the glendale school district many of the same extremists was in north hollywood at an elementary school during both protests, Eric Ademan, executive director of Gallus, the LGBTQ plus Armenian society, told the Guardian that white ring activists who had been prominent at previous pro-Trump and anti-vaccine rallies across the region, people with documented connections to the Proud Boys and January 6th were in attendance. So it's like, Glendale community members, including teachers, students, parents, and elected officials are like, look, can we get some support? Can we get some, we're, 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 our safety is at risk. Mm. So organizers warned the hate groups and their candidates what to erase any mention of LGBTQ plus and gender identity from books oh, and materials in Glendale schools and force the LGBTQ plus back into the closet. So Jordan Henry and Anita Capricorn, sorry if I butcher that, two ultra-right conservatives and darlings of extremist activists are candidates for open seats on the Glendale School Board. Mm. So this is why it's important to vote. And then also, but like, if they are a part of this and then they're trying to get on the board, do you just know how much fear and like things that these, the community is going to feel in these schools? Mm-hmm. In Glendale. Ting. Vote local, y'all. That's also right. It matters. It matters. Damn, Glendale, get your shit together. <laughs> You're in California. Right? <laughs> the fuck? Right. Like, you right outside of, like... Yeah. Dude. I mean, we're not that fucking... Fucking blue. There's a lot of fucking dumb fucking bitches up there. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. But yeah. Anyone in Glendale... Go vote. Go vote. Go vote blue or something. I don't know. Vote first. Someone. <laughs> Any other quick teas? Nah. I'm. Oh, girl, I don't think so. I I'm think quenched. we done drank all of it. Bodies on bodies on bodies on bodies. All right. Is it time for a break? Break time. We shall be right back. Hey, y'all. Christoph here. And we at the Queer LBC just want to say thank you again for all your love and support. (laughs) But we also wanted to let you know that you can hit that like button, boo. 
<laughs> but we really, really, really do appreciate a five-star review on Apple and Spotify podcast or wherever you listen to the podcast at. You can also follow us on Instagram at QueerLBC to get updates on the shows and more. Also, shit, tell a friend about us. Get the word out. You know, we your favorite LGBTQ plus podcast in LBC, baby. Oh, yeah. One last thing. If any of you listeners have a topic or idea you want to hear us talk about or have questions for moi, Dr. Mikey, feel free to slide into our DMs on Instagram at QueerLBC or email us at QueerLBC at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Speak up, y'all. And we're back. So today I wanted to introduce to you our very special guest. <laughs> Today we have in the studio with us Rami. Well, identify yourself, Queen. Please tell us about yourself. My name is Rami Electrovi. I am a Southern California native, and I currently teach at Cal State Long Beach in the theater arts department. I teach classes around theater and social justice. Very we, cool, very cool. Uh, LBC native. LBC native, that's <laughs> me. Thank you for bringing me back to my birthplace. Of course, of course. So excited to have someone like you with us today. Thank you very much. I feel like we never get to hear from the queer Muslim perspective. So can you just tell us everything? <laughs> <laughs> but really, how do you, how do you? <laughs> how do I be myself? How do you be yourself? Well, I guess it's an ever-changing process. It's never unfolding process, I guess, is what I want to say. Now that I'm in my 40s, I would say I'm a much more realized version of myself, more whole than ever, less fragmented. I think it's taken my entire adult life to feel reconciled in who I am, my spirituality, like my identity as a Muslim, my belief in God, my faith in God is very important to me. I do think that for there were several years, like in my 20s, for example, in which I ran away from that and I ignored my faith or pretended it didn't exist or kind of like forgot, you know, about my faith conveniently sort of as, as a way of protecting myself or I put it on the back burner, put it mm. on the back burner. Like, you know, this seems to be like a heavy load to carry. So let's just like not have to deal with it for a while. And I think that served me at the time, but I will say, I think at around 30 or just as I was getting older, I started to feel spiritually depleted because I grew up Muslim and I grew up having a connection to like my creator, you know, even from a young child that was like a lifeline, I guess, for me, a spiritually, a spiritual lifeline. So I think for, I like missed it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I missed having something I can, that can anchor me. So I spent, I would say like, the next decade of my life, say like my entire 30s, you know, trying to come back to God. I just, I will say that I, it's, it wasn't until I got to meet other queer Muslims who were also practicing that I even realized it was possible. Mm -hmm. So I went on a queer Muslim retreat in like 
2014, I guess about 10 years ago. And I had met so many other queer Muslims. And up until then, I really didn't know any. And so I think that felt like I had permission to practice in community. And I, because it's very important to be in community as well. Yeah. As a Muslim. Mm-hmm. One second, rewind. Where yeah. did you find this group? This was a, out of East Coast. There's a there's an organization called the Muslim Alliance of Sexual and Gender Diversity, MASGD, mm. and they put on a retreat, a spiritual a spiritual retreat every year, and then it became every other year and. I actually don't know if it's even happening anymore. I think the pandemic probably interrupted mm-hmm. a lot of that. Yeah. But it was something that they were doing yearly at some like retreat center on on the East Coast and I had heard about it and people were telling me to like oh you should try this, you should check it out. And I was nervous. I think a lot of people get nervous when you think you're sort of alone and you're used to kind of holding on to these identities by yourself, I think it can be a little nerve wracking to meet other people. Mm. But I did. And like, I think there were over a hundred people there. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. I mean, and like, it's crazy even to say, oh, wow, to think that, oh my gosh, there are a hundred. Right. Like, right. Okay. Right. Okay. There are probably yeah, thousands, right. it's probably you know? thousands <laughs> yeah. but you guys had the courage to make that step. Yeah. To just like be in, be, be at some sort of retreat together. Right. Mm-hmm. And, different like sessions as with any retreat like the program is full of different uh things to talk about or different practices different rituals and people sort of you know go where they fit in one of i think the like i think one of the kind of like principles that underscored that retreat was like a quote from you a roomie which is like come come whoever you are even if you have refused to come a thousand times, you know, come. Oh. So it's like, it's a way of saying like, if you have any relation to Islam or any, any part of you like feels called to explore your faith as a Muslim, you know, come to this retreat. Mm-hmm. I think the goal is to, for people to achieve reconciliation, mm-hmm. you know, because faith and God and creator, if those are things you subscribe to it's so much greater than like this physical world right and so like your sexuality or like your body it's so much smaller than god so i think that's what helps people kind of like reconcile like if they start to see that they were created as intended as like god gave us this experience for a reason and right it's a beautiful experience actually if you lean into it that there should actually be no fragment between your spirituality and yourself if anything that should be probably the clearest thing you know and anything Mm -hmm. any struggles in this world are meant for you to work through you know, right. I don't know if I'm making sense. No, no, yeah. no I'm here for it. Yeah. yeah, basically, like there's more to it than just our little squabbles we have here. Yeah, yeah, and our ability to like, like, like homosexuality. If you talk about it like that, mm-hmm. it's such. It's really it's reduced, really as minuscule. It's yeah, like it's, it's like very such a small <laughs> piece of every, right of of our identities, of our experience, of who we are. Mm-hmm. That to think that that little part of ourselves could be some reason to not 
be with God or to not, you know, see the miracles all around you or see mm-hmm. how you've been blessed. Right. I think to sort of use that as a reason to not, it's it's not really taking in the full like majesty or power or generosity or compassion or mercy that is right. God actually. Hmm. Which I don't he know. is all of those. I don't know if, if if the three of you are spiritual or people of faith. Or, I'm spiritual. I I'm spiritual. Like I told them in the past, like I do believe of higher beings. Mm-hmm. Like I believe we are put on this place for a particular reason. Now I don't practice per se, but I also believe I'm a believer. And one thing I have always told them, like I, I show knowledge to all the gods. So I, I want the universe and the gods to watch over me and guide me. Mm-hmm. So yes, to answer your question, I don't know about these heathens. Okay. But. <laughs> yeah, I don't follow any organized religion. I think just through my experiences with Christianity, just really left a, a bad taste in my mouth for organized religion in terms of like what I believe in and definitely believe in like a higher power but i wouldn't say it's like like god like you know other like religions may say like i don't know i just believe in like this universal like connection and energy it's very like woo woo (laughs) type of perspective that i have woo 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 yeah i feel like i'm kind of the same like i was brought up in christianity Mm -hmm. but essentially like i pushed away from it or it mm-hmm. pushed it pushed me away from it, and then I that pushed part. away from it, mm-hmm. and then now I'm like anti. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as but I always say this: it's like, do I believe in God? Maybe, probably, but is Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior? No, probably not. Mm. <laughs> and I always say that because it's such a Christian nation that we live in mm-hmm. that I have to kind of state that to people because yeah. it's like they want to start the conversation as if you believe in the Christian God already. And it's kind of like, sis, I have to tell you how it is now. (laughs) And I don't want to be the rude one. But no, I mean, as far as every other religion goes, it's like, I'm cool with it and whatever. But yeah. And that's another thing I wanted to talk to you about was that when you grew up in the religion, Mm -hmm. were people in the religion, did did you get any negative, like, like anti-gay shit? Well, I, I wasn't out when i grew up but did you mm. still like receive those messages in the community for sure Mm -hmm. like what was that experience for you i mean i think it's not unlike you know people who grew up in christianity Mm -hmm. and the same it's pretty much a lot of the same messaging which is like hate the sin not the sinner Mm -hmm. and you know like these are these feelings might be natural but you can't really pursue like there should be no action there's no Mm -hmm. it's the behavior that's Mm -hmm. sinful it's you may have an attraction for someone who is of the same sex, but you're not supposed to like pursue that. You know, mm. I think those are some of the teachings recognizing that sexuality is a thing and that desire is a thing and, you know, really trying to repress it, push it down. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually used to tell my friends that I could get away with being in the closet because my communities my muslim communities and family was so conservative that even if i was straight there's no way i could have had a girlfriend mm. you know oh, so like there wasn't really that even, even yeah like there's no no muslim that i grew up with 
had boyfriends and girlfriends, you know, like they're Mm. really, that's was pretty much pushed aside, you know, in some really conservative communities, you know, genders are separated, right. You know, like men and women are not often in the same room. So I think it's really easy to fly under the radar as Mm. queer in those spaces. Okay. But at, but at the same time, you're definitely not encouraged to mm, be queer. It's definitely not. Oh, yeah. They'd be repressing them straights too, I see. <laughs> yeah. So for, for you, like, how was that process of, like, reconnecting with, with your spirituality, with your religion again, while knowing and growing up with kind of, like, that anti-gay rhetoric? Because, like, that pushed me and Nino away from yeah. religion. But, like, it, how did you navigate that? Well, I think, I mean, if I could say, like, I relate to it you are Mm -hmm. saying and i've had that experience as well Mm -hmm. where right after i came out and i came out pretty publicly i mean this is a story that i have told a million times again Um, (laughs) well i mean on other podcasts too but like i came out in the la times oh and that's how like my family read about it and that oh see that's how my community in general all the muslims i knew that they read it in the los angeles times that's because i was appearing in a play in which there was a gay muslim character and i was playing the character so i outed myself to the interviewer but it's out there. I mean, t- right. 2005. It was actually like oh, 19, almost 19 years ago. Wow. So, and I was in my 20s at the time. Okay, now. So I got such a backlash. And that is what contributed to me, like, putting the faith away, not wanting to practice for years, feeling like God doesn't care about me. Like, if God is teach, if the teachings of God are telling you that I don't, that I'm not okay, then I don't want to have to, I don't want any relationship with this God. I mean, sort of like kind of what I'm hearing the two of you say, Mm -hmm. which is that the people, the anti-gay rhetoric, they sort of turned me off to the religion. But like I said at the beginning of this, after a few years, by the end of my 20s, maybe five or six years after this coming out happened, I felt so spiritually depleted. And I actually felt like the Muslims stole my faith from me, you know? Mm -hmm. And it really isn't, when you think about, maybe Christianity is a little specific when it's about Jesus. And forgive me, I sound like an ignorant person, I'm not Christian, but it's like, Mm In Islam, really all that matters is your connection to your creator. Like you're encouraged to pray five times a day when you fast for Ramadan. It really is all about establishing a close connection to your creator. That has nothing to do with your sexuality. Mm, It really has nothing to do with that. It's not, it really is about being able to show gratitude and reverence and submission to what has given you life and what has made you safe and what, you know, has given you, you know, all the blessings that you have received, you know, the ability to like have friends or have your parents or, or whatever, the ability to eat and clothe yourself. All of these are considered blessings from like God and None of that has anything to do with your sexuality. So for people to use your sexuality as a reason for God to have an issue with you, that actually doesn't really compute because 
like I have a relationship with God. Right. You know, mm. that has nothing to do with, to my, do with my sexuality. Yeah. Like, I don't know so, why people push that so much. Yeah, mm-hmm. it like, really, I, I think as soon as you start to realize that faith is different than religion and that your faith is not, is not dictated by other people and what they say, like the people kind of ruin the religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But faith in God, that's your own thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually very pro not being part of an organized religion. I do encourage people to tap into their own spirituality and what their connection is to source, whether it's connect, you called it connection, mm-hmm. higher power, energy. Mm-hmm. There are so many different words yeah. that are right. all maybe referring to the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, and I wanted to just ask you this. It may sound weird, mm-hmm. but it's so you said that you felt spiritually depleted. Mm-hmm. How did that make, like, were you, did it lead into like, like depression? Like, did it make you feel like you was just missing something or like that? It, cause I, I, I asked this because I felt like before I came out, I wasn't also like into the religion or the faith that I was raised in, but I also felt myself being different. Mm-hmm. In the sense of like I was being more angry, I was just like being an asshole for no reason, and it wasn't like me because also with like with that faith being said, I wasn't supposed to act that way. Yeah, I, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So like, how did that look for you when you were in that stage? I think also like I was angry. I think I was getting into like really toxic relationships. Mm-hmm. I was looking for other outlets, whether it was like, you know, drugs or hookup sex or, you know, I just found myself being really agitated Mm -hmm. and seeking some sort of relief, some sort of comfort. And at least to me, I think I had was wired that that relief and comfort came from my faith. And without the faith there anymore. I had no idea where to turn, you know, and I think I would like get myself into relationships or like, you know, I moved in, I had someone move into my place, you know, just within a few weeks of knowing them. And I think that that was like, for, in hindsight, I feel like that was like me wanting comfort okay. in my space, oh. you know, cause I didn't feel comfortable at home. Okay. And so I wanted someone to like move in and, but like that was the wrong person, you know, you don't. Yeah. Right. Like, and so it was around, it was like after that experience that I started to realize that something was missing mm-hmm. and that it was that faith, that the part of the me part of that, that yeah. used to be Muslim. Right. You know? Okay. That's uh, nice. I, I, I feel I resonate with that. So, yeah. <laughs> And I also wanted to just touch on one uh-huh. quick thing too, because I know. So it w- when you came out, it was in two thousand and five when mm-hmm. you was in L.A. Times. Yeah. And so then nine years later, that's when you went on that retreat. Yeah. For with the one on one other one hundred queer Muslims yeah. for that. Do you keep in contact with any of those individuals that you met during that retreat? I do. Yeah, a few of them. Oh. 
I didn't connect too many of them, to be honest. Because like, it was almost like... 100 people is A, a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think I walked away with maybe three or four connections. Mm-hmm. And I am nice. in general touch with, okay. the, with them. None of them live in California. Oh, okay. So, like, we are in touch. We might, you know, if we're in each other's cities, we'll meet for, yeah. like, a meal or something. Okay, nice. But I will say, like, it's interesting that you track it as nine years. I really do feel like now that I've been out for a good 19 years, I do feel like a decade I spent all by myself in that identity. Mm. And then uh, the last decade, I was able to actually have queer Muslim community, Mm. which was unfathomable those first nine years. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like community helps like maybe that contradicts what i just said in the sense that people kind of ruin the religion the religion right but i do think that again you don't need other people to practice your faith but i think other people can be a reminder you know just like i didn't know i could actually practice my faith until i met other queer muslims you know so it's like you almost need each other Muslims need each other to remind each other of God's like beauty and love. It's actually part of the faith too, is to remind each other. It's like one of our tasks is to remind each other of, you know, the blessings and keep each other humble and keep each other grateful. Nice. And it's beautiful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that community that you was a part of in regards when you went on that, have you found Cause I'm was those individuals from across America or like was they just from the East Coast or Yeah, they were all over the place. Some were even from like other countries. Countries. Oh, okay. But if your question is have I found like community here yes. in, in LA or California, over the years I have tried to create that community. Like I've hosted queer like gatherings at my home and there used to be like a queer muslim support group at the gay and lesbian center that i used to co-facilitate all of this stuff was like pre-pandemic and i will also say like it never really like took off there was always so much drama for lack of a better Mm. word like no, I mean, that is the best word. There was. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think, like, it's actually a very sad, it's sort of evidence that our communities, our queer communities, queer Muslim communities, we've been so traumatized in our families and in our home countries, for those who are maybe not American, not that this con- country is not traumatizing as as well, but I think people come into the space from a place of trauma mm. and wanting answers like wanting people to heal their pain okay. and i think it actually creates a lot of tension and a lot of policing each other and, mm. and having so, their guard up and everything having and their it, guard up it's like it's like a lack of love okay. and more like anger like i felt like there was a lot of anger and fear in these spaces and not Mm -hmm. enough like love and support Mm -hmm. um but i'll say that like i kind of pulled back and kind of got tired of trying to facilitate these spaces because i just felt like it wasn't it wasn't wasn't working Mm -hmm. and i just learned to invest in like sort of my more one-on-one queer muslim friendships which i have but i wouldn't say that it's i'm in community mm. you know now is there a community in la of gay muslims uh, i mean if they're like i would say it's like 
maybe a literary queer Muslim community, or maybe there's like a party queer Muslim community. Okay. I think they're sort of segmented based on interest. Oh, okay. It's kind of hard because community is like an abstract thought. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, well, what does it mean, period, right? Like well, gay people together, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of like, yeah, and if there's drama, I, I feel like I would be the same person who would go to one of these groups assuming it would heal me. Because I would go there being like, I'm the only one who knows my experience. Let me go and be with my people and then i would just want to trauma dump everything and then <laughs> that's what it was that's, de that's definitely how those spaces work yeah it was a lot of trauma dumping and a lot of triggering each other and a lot of like being people having their guard up and then also people like, like projecting all their pain mm -hmm. you know possible mislove connections yeah <laughs> <laughs> get started <laughs> yeah. i mean talking about love connections it's like i've never i don't know if never is the right word but like you never really see a queer muslim with another queer muslim mm -hmm. you know it's like a queer muslim is often dating like a white person mm -hmm. or someone outside of the community you right know? yeah and, yeah and it's like i think there is like too much internalized phobia maybe mm -hmm. you know internalized Is islamophobia to like be in partnership with another another Muslim. Interesting. Would you ever feel, have you ever felt that way? Like, mm, I would want to like maybe steer clear of another Muslim guy because of X, Y, Z or? I've never felt like, oh, I wouldn't want another Muslim. If anything, I've often told myself how nice it would be to like, because mm -hmm. my faith is so important to me. Mm -hmm. I, I will say I would, I don't want to, these were queer Muslim community spaces, but I would say not too many were practicing. Practicing. Oh, you know? okay. So like there weren't so many of them in which their faith or their connection to God was maybe a leading part of their identity. If anything, they were probably raised Muslim, maybe in another, in a Muslim country, mm -hmm. and they're too angry and traumatized to want to be a practicing Muslim, but it is still sort of part of their identity. Mm -hmm. So they would come to these spaces and not and, and not be practicing. And I think that would bring in a sort of guarding, a, lev a level of being guarded as well. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, I have actually always wanted to be with a person of who has a some sort of faith or spirituality. I've been, if it was a Muslim, that would be great. But it's be it has become clear to me that my partner does need to be a person mm -hmm. of faith, faith. Mm -hmm. someone who does have a practicing faith practicing faith someone who prays someone who has some sort of spiritual anchor someone who's humble and someone who sort of is in a place of gratitude yeah. for the life that they live thankfully my current partner is all that and awesome. that's like but it's the first person i dated who in like my entire adult wow, life okay who, that's you know, amazing. Was someone who had like Congratulations. a spiritual practice. So thank you. And that was like became very clear from like day one hmm. that that was a connection. Connection that mm -hmm. you guys had together. Yeah. Right. You need someone who understands. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think that was important to them too, to find someone who was also practicing. I know that's mm -hmm. right. Now, here's a question Have you found that the gay community is like not into. Muslims or are they phobic? Are they sure? Yes. <laughs> yes, very much. And again, when you, like you said, when you say community, that's kind of an abstract term. 
it really depends on spaces. Like, mm -hmm. you know, back when I was like on hookup apps, you would see a lot of Islamophobia, right. you know, mm -hmm. and, like uh, people fetishizing you and, you know, can you like wear your headdress and what the fuck? Well, <laughs> you know, like, or yeah, like, can do you mind wearing like a traditional outfit during our hookup or something like Hell that? No. Well, <laughs> um, I mean, delete. <laughs> I got that a lot. How mm -hmm. do you feel when, when people would say that? I mean, it's you're like, it's, hell yeah. <laughs> I guess it depends on how hot that is. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's definitely is off-putting. Or people who are like, oh, where are you from? And I'd be like, oh, my family's from Egypt. And it's like, oh, I could never visit there. That's too, they're too, they hate gays too much or, or they're too homophobic. And, you know, maybe these, there are countries like, like Egypt it. who, who definitely are not supportive of gays. But I do think, t I do think that there's something kind of close-minded about like yeah you know refusing to even to even tell someone who's from their country, from there right yeah i would never visit your because country. first of all i didn't even ask you to fucking yeah. visit yeah. motherfucker yeah. first of all <laughs> but also i think it's like gay travelers should feel like they could go everywhere in the world mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like I think a lot of countries are not super, you know. Oh yeah, that should queer not friendly. keep that should right. not keep queer people from staying what in the U.S. or in Western Europe to like make everything sort of Eurocentric and yeah. then turn your nose up to the rest of the world where people of color are, exactly. and to just sort of label them all as like homophobic. I think is xenophobic. On, uh, Mm. is xenophobic in mm -hmm. your, right. on your own so especially yeah. when we got florida fucking here right, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly america is homophobic as fuck yeah, exactly yeah yeah that's what i was gonna ask you about that anything from you sir i know your family from like egypt can you tell us a little bit about egypt i know you came from a trip recently too yeah it's, i was in egypt in december around christmas time it was the first time i was in egypt in my adult life during Christmas time. And I was kind of like taken aback by how Christmassy it was because it's like a 90% Muslim country. <laughs> there are Christians in Egypt, but it was definitely like overly commodified and mm. Christmas trees. Yeah. What? Totally like Christmas trees and Christmas lights. And America just could taste shit on everything. But when mm. they do it over there, dude, it's not like, it's not like a Christian festival, right? It it's just kind of like Christian. it's no. just like holiday oh, okay. decor. <laughs> it, it definitely just feels very culturally like a reach, almost like a oh, way okay. to appeal to tourists. Mm. Oh, okay. For the people who like, oh, let's go travel to Egypt for Christmas. Well, tourism definitely <laughs> is down, and I and Egypt does rely on tourism. So, oh, okay, I did sort of see like a mass appeal to like the tourist and using Christmas yeah. like decor as a Bring way of in. doing that. Okay. Which I thought was strange. I have not spent a lot of time in Egypt. I was born here in Long Beach. My parents did immigrate from Egypt here to Los Angeles. I've been, I go maybe every five years. Last time was 2019. I don't feel 
I think whenever I go, I'm like seeking some sort of profound spiritual connection mm. to like my ancestors. Mm. Okay. You know, like I've actually never met any of my grandparents. They all oh, passed before cool. I was born. So like I don't have this connection to any generation be be, be above my parents, mm. my parents. Mm -hmm. And every time I go to Egypt, I'm trying to like connect to some memory that really doesn't exist. And it, I always am a little sort of disappointed or there's always a sense of melancholy of like, yeah. oh, I didn't find what I was looking for. Yeah. You know, and I think that happened again, this like past time, mm -hmm. you know, seeking That's some good. sort of, yeah, wanting to know where I come from a little bit right. more. Yeah. It's fun to romanticize. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, I guess like, if you want to have a vision. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, you know, you see other people who have grandmothers and mm -hmm. what their connection to their grandmother has meant. And I've never had that. I've mm -hmm. never met a grandma. So I think I keep see. I think I'm like seeking yeah. that grandmother. Mm -hmm. Energy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't have that. You know? Never had it. Damn. Maybe you just need to meditate more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. How do you like to, how, how do you navigate through the gay scene as a Muslim? She's booed up now. I mean, okay, before, well, you know, before you was, you know, before you got caught. Before you got caught up. It's kind of hard to even think about because I do think it was just like a, the the hookup lifestyle oh, like it was okay. like the gay scene is on the apps you mm -hmm. know like i'm not really i was not the type that was going to bars like west hollywood or whatever oh, okay. you know i never really had like gay community around me you know like mm -hmm. i've always all my best friends have always been like my straight female friends so i never had like a queer posse to go out with oh, okay. so i just don't think i was able to really participate in a gay scene a possible like just not really feeling male maybe in that way you know like maybe like having a, a group of gay boys around me never felt it never naturally happened and i think it's because you know, maybe like I don't necessarily see myself as like a gay male. You know, it's okay. like I'm currently like for a few years now, it's like really sort of expanding how I see myself gender wise, mm. recognizing that I've always been more vibrationally connected to my female friends than to like other male, uh, male bodied people. Mm -hmm. And just recognizing that throughout my adult life, a gay male community has always sort of been elusive to me. Okay. And so I just was not able to navigate. I just don't think there was much to navigate. Navigating, mm -hmm. yeah, right. You know, and so like my outlet in terms of seeking connections with other men was, yeah, just through like hookup apps. And oh, okay. Yeah, because I just feel like, I don't know, I almost feel like the whole idea of like a gay youth is like not even true. Like, you know what I mean? Because, like, I talk to, like, straight people, and they're, like, the way they talk to me is almost as if they think that I grew up in a gay world full of gay people, and I'm, like, for the first time I'm interacting with straight people when I meet them. And it's, like, what the fuck? Is, like, yeah. do you really think that's how it works? So it's, like, and then people talk about, like, the 
LGBTQ plus community. And I think that just sets like a false idea that there's some kind of a community. But it's like when they refer to the LGBTQ plus community, it just means like all the gay people that are over there, wherever they are. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's no like real like quilted fabric where we're all like friends in a in a city talking right. to each other, like farming. You know what I mean? Like it's not <laughs> like that. It's it doesn't exist. No. Or does mm-hmm. it exist? I don't know. It seems to exist amongst white gays. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know, in West like, Hollywood. In like West Hollywood, I guess. Yeah. Or, or maybe like social media or just media kind of paints a different picture. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're right in the sense that I've never actually seen it replicated in reality, mm-hmm. especially in like communities of color. Because I feel like when we talk about like that idea, right, of community, then it's like when we really boil it down to it, it's like, well, what is it really? And then I, when I think of like, what do I mean by community? I guess the the really only thing I can think of is like when I'm here with like my gays mm-hmm. and like they're the friends that I actually know and talk to, right? And I feel like, yeah, like the only time I ever see a huge gaggle of gays is when it's like a huge group of like white guys in West Hollywood. And mm-hmm. I, think I don't know why it's the only ones that can maintain friend, like a huge friend group, maybe because it's all they're just fucking each other. Because <laughs> it just seems like it's always just like that. I mean, it could be also possibly true. It's, I don't it's know. It's crazy that they even they seem to like genuinely like each other, or do they not? Like I don't. I don't it's know. it's not clear what the quality of <laughs> yeah. That's it also almost seems true. like it's like a Real Housewives mm-hmm. moment, but with no cameras, where they all hate each other, but they're just like forced to be together. I don't yeah. And <laughs> well, it's in, it's definitely it's uh, not. It's not a scene I've like ever really wanted to be a part of. I mean, that's also true. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think no none of us really wants to be a part of that scene. But that's the only thing that we, as a gay, you feel like, oh, like I need to be a part of this because you know, like, uh, I I need my I need I, <laughs> we say community. How many times we say community tonight? <laughs> but like, I need that. Like, I I need I need to be around people like minded. Then you find out that like, wow, like. Most of us are not like minded. Yeah. Um, we just like dudes. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's our common like, interest. <laughs> sexuality is like maybe not enough of a commonality. Yeah. Exactly. No, yeah. Right. Exactly. To connect. Because like, mm-hmm. I'm still not going to fuck you, but like, I still want to be around people. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. I want to be around the gays, but like. I think it's more of like, I want to like make out in front of. <laughs> I want to make out with guys in a safe place where no one's going to judge, that right? <laughs> yeah. I just need the safe space. Yeah, just need space to do, to do me, you know? Or, yeah. But I think, like, I had my, like, WeHo phase. Like, I was out there, like, a lot. And that's where I used to go and party. But I never... I always went with, like, a group of people. Yeah. I, I know we used to go... And it was just, like, to drink and dance. And I felt like I never met anyone to, and built, like... A friendship from from bars. bar friends yeah like i i used to like chat and like interact with people but I, like never went past that yeah like being in like the boys town mm-hmm. really feel like community in the yeah. sense of community i guess mm-hmm. you two like were community for yeah. each other mm-hmm. yes for each other yeah mm-hmm. see and i think that's probably what we look at we look at a community like more than one person all you need is one that's all yeah. you need yeah, yeah. 
really mm-hmm. just two or three mixed right. communities. Yeah. Maybe we should title this episode Community. community. <laughs> I'm definitely not talking to anybody I used to hang out with, you know, back in the day. So mm-hmm. like the fact that you two used to go out or had a wee phase and you're still in each other's lives is kind of remarkable. Mm-hmm. Cool. I did have another group of LA gays who are now oh, all yeah. disbanded. <laughs> she disbanded the group. Not the disbanded. <laughs> You're not you know. in touch with any of them? I'm in touch with them through the phone or one of them through the phone. But I think most Like through the phone, people, is that like a call or a text? More like room? a sending memes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> being a theater artist or me oh, yeah. like sort of me being a professor. Oh, nice. Yeah. We, not so that that's something. I mean, that's also true, right? <laughs> but how do you navigate in those spaces? I love it. I will say that I'm very grateful to be able to teach young, younger people, people who are like early on, for the most part, early on in their theater careers, like people in their early twenties who are imagining having a professional theater future i'm very grateful that i can be there to show them that they can create theater that can you know change the world because i teach a Mm -hmm. class called theater protest and social change so for me it's really important that for those who are about to graduate if they only really imagine themselves being an actor or a writer or a director that you know, that they also realize that they have the power to create original pieces about social issues that are important and that maybe they might change people's minds or maybe they might draw, like raise awareness about a really important issue and, you know, actually, you know, encourage people to respond in a positive way. I really like, I feel like it's a privilege to be able to introduce that idea to these mm-hmm. students, mm-hmm. you know, cause I think being an actor can be so powerless and to feel like that they can create their own work that represents who they are and what they care about, right. I think is an honor. It's a privilege. I think theater people do underestimate the power of theater, the power of the arts, you know, mm-hmm. arts really can change the world and can, you know, be an outlet for healing and it can like save lives. And I think people can be very intentional about that. So to me, I have been practicing theater sort of in that capacity my entire adult life. I even said that I came out in the LA times when I was, you know, like 20 years ago. And that's because I was part of a play in which there was a gay Muslim character on stage. And that was pretty radical at the time. Mm-hmm. Right? And so like, even by creating the possibility of a gay Muslim identity, a fictional one on stage led to heightened level of awareness of queer Muslim identity. And I even came out. And so I became sort of a real person attached to it. And right. that inspired I know that it inspired younger people in my Muslim community, people who were like teens who saw that I came out and that, and they were like questioning their sexuality at that time and that they sort of like felt less alone. So nice. things like theater, the arts, representation, all that, that that's all that really mm-hmm. does matter, mm-hmm. you know, and it really can make people feel seen and heard you know i'm sure all of us can talk about the first time we saw like a gay character in a tv show or a film and right mm-hmm. or at least which 
what has been a profound sort of like moment of representation, you know, I'm sure we can all talk about that and know that that, you know, has a profound effect on us. Mm, sure. <laughs> That's really awesome about what you, what you're talking about, the teaching the actors about the basically turning them into political actors, but that's mm -hmm. awesome and amazing and really interesting and cool. And that's great. And I'm glad that you're doing that. And also that whole thing about representation is like amazing. Like, obviously I would want you to speak more on representation, <laughs> but like, obviously like what you just said is amazing. Like how your the character in the play also helped inspire you to come out yourself because obviously, and that's just, <laughs> it's everything. That's everything. Right. Like what you just said. Well, that's sort of, again, how I think the arts works and how, and again, maybe theater is my language, but I think you can make it film, dance, visual art. I think all of the, all of that has the opportunity to inspire people, get people to connect emotionally to something and, you know, feel, have a sort of deeper understanding about something, maybe themselves or maybe about the person next to them or maybe about the person next door. And I think the arts in general makes us more human, you know, mm. and, and more compassionate. And I, I have a master's in applied theater. I got that 12 years ago now, 11 years ago now. And so I'm very committed to people using theater to change the world, mm. you know, very far away from like the for-profit being on Broadway type yeah. of mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. way of practicing theater. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like theater in the streets, radical street performance, oh, you know? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, is the, I mean, is this like a new concept? I almost feel mm -hmm. like where you're talking about, it feels like so new. I mean, it's, it's been like theater has been, pra been practiced as a form of like social change for years, you know, in this country, it goes back to maybe like the 1960s. And even before that, there was after the Great Depression or during the Great Depression, there was something called the Federal Theater Project, which was something FDR, President FDR introduced through through something called the WPA, the Workers Project Administration, or going like 90 years ago. But like that's, there was a federal theater project division of the Workers Project Administration, which was like a government funded arts to, and people were writing plays about, you know, labor unions and poverty and, you know, plays that actually represented themselves. Mm. Those are some of like, I would say the origins of theater as a form of social justice. Mm. Very interesting. I didn't even know mm -hmm. this was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the last time the government really ever cared about the arts. The arts. Mm -hmm. I mean, when they're using yeah. for propaganda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool and for you like what 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 has your journey with the arts been like like when did you get into plays and doing theater i did my first play as a freshman in high school it was little shop of horror horrors mm. and yeah it was really fun it was it sparked my love for musicals i'm definitely a musical theater queen <laughs> Even though I don't like work on musicals, there's not a lot of musicals for social justice out there. Some, 
before I was teaching theater at the college level, I was teaching theater to teens. And to introduce theater to like a young person who's like maybe 14, 13 or 14, especially if they're like someone who's been a bit shy or kind of like a loner and not having a lot of friends, someone like me, that's how I was. I had no friends oh. like up until maybe I did that first show in mm. like my freshman year of high school. But I was the type of person that in elementary and junior high, I would come home after school and I would just like not hang out with friends. I didn't really have any friends. I was mm. too shy, too awkward. And I think the theater or in general, an arts program can really get someone to come out of their shell mm -hmm. and connect to a different part of themselves that society doesn't really foster. You know, I think as a society, we encourage young people to play sports or, you know, to, to do extracurricular activities that are not necessarily creative. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that to be creative, to play, that kind of gets people to discover different parts of themselves. And I do think that theater, when introduced at a young age, can really give people social skills, communication skills, and get people to be able to recognize their own gifts and talents and just makes people more confident. And that is what happened to me. It's sort of, I got to witness how profound how theater transformed my way of being and my way of interacting with the world around me. And mm -hmm. I think ever since I've been an arts educator, cause I mm -hmm. want other younger people who kind of feel awkward and alone and, you know, a misfit. I think the arts are, can help them create community or find community. Right. Mm. That's what arts and find are. themselves, find themselves. Yeah. And then get them out of their shell and just be able to open up and just be the butterfly yeah. that they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and for everyone, it's different. For some people, it is sports that do that. Right. Mm -hmm. But we don't, but a lot of people don't talk about the arts. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. We don't talk about the creative piece of it versus, you know, oh, to go ahead and play baseball or basketball or tennis. Right. Like, no, go in. But was you afraid to talk to people? And like in open settings before that, like were you that shy that you were like, oh, I don't want to talk in front of a crowd. Like, oh my God. I think I was just sort of like a quirky. Okay. So you already, you, you had the like gift of gab. Person. Oh, okay. Like I had the gift of gab, but like, I was like maybe a quirky young kid who was like obsessed with like, I love Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just like other kids. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like I didn't care about anything else you know so yeah i just stood it didn't really find a group of people that i connected with mm -mm. Yeah. Okay. now do you put on shows as well as a professor or do you like i don't not through the school i'm okay. too new there okay. for me to for them to give me that responsibility though that would be amazing. we'll keep our, we'll keep our ear to the ground because it's gonna mm -hmm. be soon mm -hmm. yeah hopefully soon i do sort of produce my own events not very often oh. I I think before we started recording, I was telling you about an event I did a few months ago that M Dr. Mikey was involved in, mm -hmm, yeah. like a queer Arab storytelling event that I did in LA in October. So I'll do events like that, some sort of community-oriented storytelling event in which 
you know, most likely Arabs or Muslims or queers are, you know, taking the stage and, you know, sharing a bit about themselves. I can't wait to the next one. I would love to go to something like that. I'll let you know. I uh, have, don't have anything on the docket as of right. I ain't trying to put no pressure on you now. <laughs> Maybe soon. No, I keep my ear to the ground. I'm like, wait. I want to tell you. In high school, I auditioned for mm-hmm. the Breakfast Club. Oh, for the part of I don't even remember part. I was auditioning, and I did a monologue from Breakfast at Tiffany's, where Paul Varjak talks and does his whole speech at the end yeah. about what was it. Where it's like, you know what your problem is. Yeah, that one. Uh, <laughs> whatever you are. Yeah. Someone's going to stick you in a cage, whatever. Yeah. Did that whole thing. And then I got the part of Bender from The Breakfast Club. And then, I'll tell you what, I sure didn't come for the callback. And I didn't do anything with Why? it. And I just ignored it. And I was like, Aww. oh, I don't want anyone to make fun of me. So... <laughs> I regret it so bad. Oh, that's too bad. Well, we have to put it on so you could play Ben. Yeah. Ooh, we just came up with our new show. (laughs) (laughs) But to all you little queers out there, you better do the callback. Because I felt so later because I was like, I should have just did it. You didn't want people to make fun of you? That's what it was. I was shy and I was like, they're just going to call me gay, even though I already am gay. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad. I know. But I just had to tell you that. Internalized <laughs> <laughs> homophobia. It's real. Did you guys ever audition for anything? No, I never, never did that. No, I've just always acted up. So <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, can I like bring something up around like faith? Hell yeah. And, yeah. Some, and it's also going to be like related to say like what's happening in Palestine. Go for it. Something that I find very inspiring is that a lot of these people who are don't know whether they're going to live you know like people are being you know slaughtered all around them and massacred all around them oh what a lot of the things they are doing is going deeper into their faith you mm-hmm. know they're like taking this really difficult time as an opportunity to like like even be more invested in god and Mm. to like literally just be reciting prayers all day you know and it's like with no clarity on their future like with a future that it looks so dark Dark. and whether Mm -hmm. they're not going to survive or not the one thing that they have to hold on to now is their faith and so i think that's like a really powerful example of how faith really can be an anchor and that it can be i think there's this sort of idea that if we're created and so if like we come from a source and if people call that source god that this world separates us from that you know like as we get older like mm-hmm. when we're a baby we're we we just came from god we're like at our source our most sort of like our powerful self our powerful self our purest right. most essential self and then as we get older and as we experience pain and trauma all these things take separate us from god and that the task of life is to go back to god and i think when you see people who 
are facing utter horror and utter tragedy. I think those, I think while that's a time where faith gets tested and it's like, oh, how does a, some people are going to be like, well, God clearly doesn't exist because how, why would God allow allow this to happen? And then there are the people who this is happening to, who actually even go deeper into their Mm -hmm. faith, you know, and don't see it as, they don't see the horror all around them as evidence of a lack of God, but more as an opportunity to even go closer to God, to go to return to their source, especially if they see that their time on earth is limited. It's like, then, you know, that means we need to be as close to God as possible. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I find it very inspiring. I think some of the more, spiritual people I know are Palestinians, mm-hmm. you know, and they probably have all the excuse not to be. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. That no, was... and that makes sense. Cause you know, a lot of like, I have clients and they always lean on religion, the clients, and they say it's really helpful and beneficial for them. So like, I do have respect for religion and what like provides and, and brings comfort, you know, to people. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. For those who are, you know, spiritually like open and connected it can be Mm -hmm. a real yeah comfort Mm -hmm. yeah and like i said i missed that Mm -hmm. when i stopped practicing i missed that comfort there was a lack of comfort in my Mm -hmm. life so how did you get like so i know that you went to the the retreat Mm -hmm. but how did you end up like deep diving back in did you just start attending like I think it was just like a a realization, you know, Mm -hmm. like a self-realization around what is possible and that nothing that this world is limiting and that God is beyond that. And so I think when I recognized that I had been living out a story of that, like, you know, God doesn't love me because I'm gay or whatever, that that really was just a man-made story. Right. You know, and our brains are limited in our language and are limited in our capacity to understand. So if you sort of let understanding go and the ability to know and like the the requirement to know and to name, I think it's a lot easier to sort of accept what is possible. Like everything is limitless and like God is abundant. Right. And love is abundant. That's very woo woo. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It's kind of woo woo that we like. Mm-hmm. I agree. This has been very enlightening. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this stuff. It's nice to remind myself. Because mm. it's not like I, things I articulate very often. It's not because you probably don't. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Because I was gonna ask you, like, has teaching been hard in recently? Mm, no, like you mean with like what's happening? Yeah. No, if anything, I would say that the youth are very inspired. I mean, right? It is a different. It is a different group of students that are leading. Yeah, the the youth seem to be connected to just to at least around like say this issue. Yeah. 
it seems like the youth I'm interacting with at my school and my campus, they're recognizing the Palestinian right to be free. Mm -hmm. right. And I do think former or older generations have always recognized the need for the state of Israel to exist and sort of ignored what that means for the Palestinians. Palestinians. Mm -hmm. But the younger people don't have an emotional connection to Israel, to Israel yeah. because the Holocaust is a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, you're finally seeing people being able to sort of recognize the injustice of it from an, from an, an objective point of view, mm -hmm. not from some ancestral point of view. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's true because I feel like at least in the American like folklore, right? Like when we made up Israel, Mm. It was very much like there was no problem in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that and it's it, something that Jewish people needed to mm -hmm. feel safe in the yeah. world mm -hmm. after the Holocaust. Because they didn't tell us the part where there was already people there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they left that part conveniently out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which they do all the time. Like, yeah. Just like the there were no people here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Because if we're all about lands that are used to be people's lands, they are not about giving no mm. Indians their lands back. Yeah. <laughs> and leave it up, leave it up to them. We came over here by ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, good. No, no, go ahead. I guess I, I'm curious because uh, I feel like with what's happening in Palestine, the, the genocide. Like I feel like the topic of like colonialization has like really been on people's more minds more. And I feel like the idea of like land back has starting to really gain. So I don't know, like for, for you as someone who does social justice theater, or just social justice oriented, what is it like to kind of see that kind of on a main stage and being talked about? It's nice to see that people are starting to recognize that op how oppression mm -hmm. is, how all oppressions mm -hmm. are interconnected. And that I think for years, you know, people like, people would attach, you know, the equal rights movement here and like, like black liberation to mm -hmm. the Palestinian liberation movement mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. It's this idea of a whole population of people being treated as like less than mm -hmm. and not given the same, you know, resources yeah. or opportunities to succeed. And I think the more people can recognize that what is happening in Palestine mm -hmm. is also happening here, mm -hmm. has been happening here, yeah. and is happening in places all over the world, mm -hmm. that it's all interconnected. Yeah. You know, and I do think that that's what people are starting to recognize mm -hmm. is that the Palestinian issue is not just over there mm -hmm. it's an issue around settler colonialism mm -hmm. which is and and that the u.s is also funding what's happening yeah. over there and that we're that, and that, mm -hmm. we're, that. And yeah. we're a settler colonialist nation mm -hmm. too and that there are indigenous people here who have been eradicated and basically removed erased from sort of the narrative of this country you know at least the dominant narrative mm -hmm. of this country yeah and that it's really important from at least an artistic standpoint right. from a theatrical standpoint to invest in native voices to invest in preserving the stories of the people whose 
who were the original inhabitants of this land, because the dominant culture is actively erasing all those stories. Yep. That part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Motherfuckers. What would you say, from your point of view, would be the most effective way to help this Palestinian situation? I mean, I guess the most effective way is to talk about it, is to like get as many people informed as possible, like bring it up at the dinner table, mm-hmm. you know, because I think it's really easy to not. It's easy yeah. to look the other way. And I think the more people care, the more people can't turn a blind eye. Like mm-hmm. this country, the political leaders want nothing more than to turn a blind eye to it. Yeah. You know, and what is really is the goal is for the Palestinian population to be eradicated and for Israel to expand. Mm-hmm. You know, that is what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, Israel is trying to now take Gaza, yeah. you know, after it's taken almost everything else. You know, if you look at an old map of what Palestine was and versus what Palestine looks like today. Mm-hmm. And then basically now Gaza is about to be erased as well, you know, or swallowed up by Israel. At least that's the goal mm-hmm. <laughs> that I think it's easy to just sort of look the other way and let that happen. It's been happening for 75 yeah. years. So I think the more, probably the most effective way is to like not stop talking about it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to like call your reps make sure that you know where your political leaders stand you know the con- the congressperson who represents me voted to send money t- to send arms to israel so mm. you know like like i live in a congressional district in which the my congressional leader doesn't you know so, give a fuck doesn't give a fuck about how i feel mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean we sh- can't let them know yeah you just went to a protest no yeah what yeah. happened there what, which one was it did you go like yesterday <laughs> <laughs> no i didn't go to that one because oh. i i hasn't do but i've been to once before like there was a, a group that was holding protests outside of city hall and because they wanted the city council to assign uh, a, a ceasefire so we were pressuring the city council to put that into action to put it on the calendar so they can vote and do it and we had to go down i think we went down like three or four times before it finally got put on and they talked about it so they did get put up yeah yeah i think they voted for it too so they signed on to a ceasefire here in long Beach. pressure does work mm-hmm. you have to you have to disrupt and i think that has shown and that has worked right civil rights movement like they disrupted right the sit-ins all that you know the Selma walk and the march, you know, everything like that causes disruption because like that raises awareness that puts it on people's radar. And I, I think a lot of people are getting caught up in in their feelings when they say this is disruption is a way to lose people from your movement. And like, I think those people aren't ready to hear these messages and because they're not, yeah. they they don't want to deal with the reality of what's happening. Right. I feel like the people who say that we're never going to be for the fucking. I mean, yeah, yeah. also likely that, you know, <sighs> Yeah, I I think there's what we're also recognizing is probably because of the 24-hour news cycle and everyone having their own devices and Mm -hmm. stuff. I do think that we've sort of 
that has led to a little bit of a dehumanization in the sense that I believe there's like, seems like a, a moral apathy out there that feels like it's hard to overcome because mm -hmm. it's like, you know, with what's happening in Palestine, you know, children have been murdered, mm -hmm. maybe like tens of thousands of children have been mm -hmm. murdered. And despite seeing like images and video of it, you know, people don't seem, a lot of people are still able to look the other way. Yeah, And I think that's because we're able to, we've gotten so used to scrolling past mm -hmm. things, mm -hmm. you know, that we can literally turn, turn off, turn our attention away from anything that mm -hmm. matters. Yeah. You know, so I do think that we're also seeing kind of a long-term negative effect of everyone sort of having their own sort of device and mm -hmm. being able to control the information that they consume. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Yeah, because it definitely, it does feel fucking overwhelming. It feels like when you see these images on Twitter, and it's just mm -hmm. like, I can't do anything. And it's like after all the, after everything I've already tried to do for myself here, it feels like, and now what can I do for other people? Nobody wants to listen to me. Nobody wants to help me. Nobody wants to vote in my direction. Uh, Congress people aren't listening. It just feels hopeless. It does. Yeah, but I mean, that's what the system is created to do right like it's meant to take so long so people give up and so people feel hopeless and like doing this requires like so much energy that's why you need a community to do it right and there needs to be a lot of people doing it and i, I think a lot of this the focus it, it should be on like just making noise and awareness right like we see these videos and, and yes we can't we can do things it's just not like what we want to do like we want to save those people's life like right there right then you know and and unfortunately that's not possible but there are definitely things that we can do true yeah there are definitely things we can do but i think it's, it's hard you know because like my thought came back because it's also like to see how people like dissociate or not like acknowledging this but i think it's also so it's been interesting to see the propaganda that's been spewed yeah. and i think that's that is playing a huge role like you know, the whole equating anti-Zionism with being anti-Semitic, you know, and and using October 7th as a guise to support this. It's just, I don't understand how people can really, I don't know, it's interesting that people fell for that narrative. And maybe it's because, like, we had our own, like, September 11th and, like, look how we responded. Right. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, there's protests everywhere. There's a lot of action. Because I feel like, excuse my white tears, but I feel like, you know, when they always say, like, what would you be doing if this was World War II and there was Jews in the concentration camps? This is what you'd be doing right now. And then it does feel very much like that. And it feels very much like, well, what am I fucking doing? Mm -hmm. I'm not doing anything. I can't do anything. And I mean, and I also think probably in World War II, there probably wasn't a whole lot that you could do, mm -hmm. could do right. to stop that from happening. I mean, that's mm -hmm. why there was a war going on. Mm -hmm. So I think it's also a little misleading to like connect it to like in action back right. in the 1940s. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's kind of like sad that if anything, if anything, there's like a blame 
on the people mm. for not being able to stop this genocide. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, blame the government. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it's not our fault that this genocide is happening. Mm. You know, all we really can do is call attention to it or ask for a ceasefire or whatever. But we're not the ones in control. Yeah. Yeah. Goddamn. Well, vote people out. Vote people yeah. out. We need <laughs> That's true. That's true. Not that it's a depressing episode. It's kind of a depressing point to sort of, like, I don't know, leave on. Right. (laughs) But, like, we kind of leave every episode like that. Yeah. It feels natural. (laughs) It feels natural. There are things we can do. Yeah. We can, as a collective, individuals, we can put pressure on our elected politicians governed officials mm-hmm. call yeah. your senator yeah. call your mayor call your whoever the fuck and yeah. like don't let don't let yourself become desensitized mm-hmm. you know like keep yourself human you know yeah like, exactly you know like don't if you notice that you can turn away and go about your day mm-hmm. you know question that mm-hmm. why are you able to what happened to you that you're able to yeah. yeah yeah definitely and i think also understanding that like all all our struggles are interconnected so if we fight for one we fight for all at the same time so like if you put energy in in something like you're it's going to have a ripple effect as well yeah i was just thinking back <laughs> to the other episode where we we're talking about those billboards where it's like hamas is your problem yeah. in downey <laughs> <laughs> which i pass on the way to and it's like Hamas is definitely not our problem. Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. Don't get don't don't be mistaken. Hamas is your problem. Too. I don't. <laughs> As I'm fucking in Downey. <laughs> I want that organization's money. Right? Right. They, those be those billboards are not cheap. Right. No, they're not. Especially on those electronic billboards. Yeah. <laughs> All up and down, what is it? The 91? Every day I go home, I see that shit. It's on the five as well. Wow. I never too. noticed. That's ridiculous. I don't go past the the 91 it's <laughs> your limit yeah, I think it's called do, you belong. Oh, you belong oh yeah do you have a social media if, in case our followers want to follow you and your sure yeah I'm at on Instagram I'm at drama roms so and, and I've had this uh, this was my AIM Screaming. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's definitely 20 plus years old, but it's D R A M A, like drama, and then Rams, R A M S. And my name is Rami. So okay, people awesome. call me Rams, drama Rams. Oh, I Rams. On Instagram and Twitter. Okay. But I don't really tweet much. Drama. <laughs> oh, duh. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it, it wasn't until I've like gotten older that I realized that I might be sending the message that I'm drama. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not. I swear I'm not. I'm no, just, I just work because... in the field. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I think that was a good one. I think that was a very good one. Was. Was there anything else that comes to mind or no? Just thank you for doing this podcast. Thank you for, in terms of representation, you know, representing queer Long Beach. and But, like, just thank you for carving out a space for local queers to talk about themselves and, you know, show that we're here and that we're part of 
Long Beach, you know, take it mm-hmm. from a native Long or a uh, born, born someone born mm-hmm. in Long Beach. <laughs> take it from him. Yeah. All right, everybody. Okay. Well, I think that was a good one. Like I already said, <laughs> I'd like to say thank you. Thank you. I'd also like to say thank you to myself, Nina. <laughs> I'd like to say thank you to Christoph, Doctor Mikey, and of course our very special guest. <sighs> From all of us here at the Queer OBC, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Sleep tight. Ugh.